Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. Please be seated. I want to invite Dr. Thomas Orr to come up. He's been here the last couple of days for Misfits Theology which is a conference we held here at Christ Church, and he was our keynote speaker and agreed to uh, preach here this morning. Uh, I saw the, the gospel reading, and I said, I wonder who, if we could get someone to teach on an uh, easier subject, and so he's going to explain evil to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had a great time the last few days. Uh, Gabriel Gordon and some of his uh, colleagues, as well as Father Everett, uh, put together a, a fantastic conference here at the church. And I talked at that conference on evil, and I wanted to continue this morning because this is a subject that, uh, well, polls say this is the number one reason why people have chosen atheism or agnosticism, people who don't believe there is a God. And although I've never actually uh, done a poll, I suspect this is the number one question most people who do believe in God have. That is, if God is so loving and so powerful, then why doesn't God prevent the genuine evils, the unnecessary suffering, the pointless pain of our world? I've titled the sermon today a provocative title. Thank goodness God is not in control. I'm finding that those who are survivors of horrific evil, those who are victims, those who've been harmed and hurt, don't really like the idea that a God who is in control either caused or allowed what's happened to them. My text this morning is actually found in the book of Ephesians. Paul is writing to the church there, and he's talking about putting aside these negative habits and things in our lives, and then accepting and embracing and living into the virtues, the positive things of our life. And he kind of sums it up with a really provocative charge. Imitate God as dearly beloved children, and live in love like Christ loved us. Imitate God. My question this morning, does God cause or even allow evil? Most people I know don't think God causes evil. They'll blame creatures who uh, use their free will, or they'll blame uh, viruses, or just bad luck. But most, I know, think God permits evil. God allows it. Is that true? I come to you this morning from Idaho, and uh, I live in a town called Nampa, and right behind my house is a stream I have three daughters, and suppose uh, some summer day, it's hot outside, 
and I'm working in the yard, which is already a fictional story, but let's pretend I'm working in the yard. Uh, and I look up, and my oldest daughter has gotten so angry at my youngest daughter that she's jumped on her shoulders, put her head under the water, and is trying to drown her. Suppose I look up, I see this, I'm close enough that I could actually intervene, go out into the water and rescue my youngest daughter, but I say, you know, I'm not causing this death, I'll just allow it. I'll let my oldest daughter exert her own free will and kill my youngest daughter. If I did that, no one in my neighborhood would vote me father of the year. My wife would not be happy. No one would say, you know that Tom, what a loving guy. He just lets his kids kill each other when he could stop it. But most people I know think that God has the kind of power to prevent horrific drownings and a whole lot more. Murder, genocide, rape, torture, and other stuff that isn't quite so dramatic like ugly divorces and people stealing from another, etc. And yet, they believe God allows those things. Does that make any sense to you? Because it doesn't make sense to me. Now, there are a bunch of, quote, answers that people give to try to explain this evil question. For instance, some people say, hey, it's just all a part of God's plan. I don't buy that answer. I mean, I look at this world, I look at the lives of people, I see some beauty, I see some love, but I also see some rottenness, some genuine evil, some ugliness. If this is the plan, it sucks. Sorry to be so blunt. <laughs> I don't buy it. Other people say something that's similar. They'll say, everything happens for a reason. Now, when they say that, I don't think they're making some scientific or philosophical claim about the causal interactions that are going on in the universe. I think what they're really trying to say is that in some mysterious way, whatever happens is a part of some kind of blueprint, and God's got some sort of greater good that's going to somehow be squeezed out of this thing, and God causes or allows these things because everything happens for a reason. I don't buy that idea either. This is the one I really hate. Heaven's choir needed another angel. As if St. Peter looks up at the choir and says, you know, we're one alto short. Let's have somebody knocked off. Need to fill this slot. Come on. This one here, God's trying to teach you a lesson, also bugs me. Now, I think there's a grain of truth here that we might be able to glean but if the whole answer is that God allows or causes these bad things in order to improve our character, to teach us some kind of lesson, well, I know a lot of people who've gone bitter instead of better. I know, well, I'll put it this way. People who are murdered don't have better characters. They don't learn lessons when they're dead. There's got to be more than God's just trying to teach us a lesson. Or this one. 
God chooses not to take away free will. Now, let me put my cards on the table up front today and say that I actually do believe in free will. But if God's got the capacity to momentarily take away the free will of a rapist, why wouldn't God do that? A God who can give or take away free will whenever God wants to, why doesn't God do that a whole lot more often to stop not only the big bad things, but even the little things that we sometimes do that hurt us deeply? Usually what happens in these discussions, not only in the churches I'm a part of, but also amongst my scholar friends in the academy, is after we explore the usual answers people give, somebody reaches into their back pocket, pulls out a big old mystery card, and goes ka-chunk right in the middle of the conversation. It's all a mystery. God's ways are not our ways. Who are we to know? We're finite. God's infinite. Who knows the mind of God? Now, let me be really clear. I don't claim to have God figured out. There's always going to be some role for mystery of our faith because God's bigger than our heads could ever get around. But I don't think it's playing fair to put that mystery card right in the middle of the conversation that is so important, not only to we who do believe in God, but the reason why so many people don't believe in God. If there's one big question I want answered, this has got to be the one or at least among the most important. So is it really right to play the mystery card here? I don't think so. This morning, I want to stick my neck way out and actually give you a solution that doesn't appeal to mystery. How's that for being cocky? Now, in this solution, I'm going to reject these kinds of usual answers. But I want to say very clearly that I'm not criticizing people who give these answers. I'm not questioning their motives. I think people with good hearts often say things that just, to me at least, don't make a lot of sense. They don't paint God as perfectly loving. Either God is angry and mad sometimes and hurts us, or God's just asleep on the switch most of the time. I don't buy these, but I'm not questioning the, usual, uh, the motives of people who give the usual answers. To solve this big problem, I want to make a really provocative claim. Actually, five of them, but the first one is the most provocative. It's this. God simply can't prevent evil single-handedly. You heard it right. I used the can't word. It surprises a lot of Christians to discover, reading the Bible, that there are quite a few passages that say that God simply can't do some things. For instance, the writer of Hebrews says, God can't tell a lie. The psalmist says, God can't grow tired. The writer of James says, God can't be tempted. But my favorite passage is actually in Paul's letter to Timothy, and he writes these words. When we are faithless, God remains faithful because God cannot deny himself. God can't be not God. 
God must act in a godlike way. And I believe that God is first and foremost a God of love. Furthermore, and this is the important point, God's love is inherently uncontrolling. God simply can't control free will creatures, smaller entities, bugs, cells in our bodies, even things at the quantum level of reality. God is there present, empowering, but never controlling because God's love is inherently uncontrolling. I think God can't prevent evil. I don't say God won't prevent evil. That's the line many people hear. And many people have been picking up this book that I have up here, God Can't, and sending me letters about the difference between God can't and God won't. I've been printing them out, and I wanted to read one of them this morning. <clears throat> so I'll tell you a bit about my story. I'm a survivor of sexual abuse, a lot and for a long time by my brother. In the midst of the worst years of my life, I had a very vivid dream of God walking over to my bed as I was being raped. He simply reached out, held my hand, and cried. For a few short days, I was elated. God hadn't left me after all. Then came the anger. Anger that God was there, and instead of stopping it, he simply held my hand and watched. For a long time, years, I was angry about that. I prayed for a breakthrough, but I never got it, so I buried it. Now, paging through your book, praying and contemplating, I can see more clearly what may have been happening. God could not stop my brother. God gives free will. So how would he have stopped him? The reality is, this person writes, God couldn't, not that he didn't. For me, this is a complete game changer. I could read many, many, many more. You see the difference between God can't versus God won't? Won't sounds like God could, but is, you know, say, no, I'm not going to intervene here. I'm not going to help out, not going to rescue. Can't says that God is present, but simply can't control agents, actors, factors who use their freedom or agency or just power of existence in wrong ways. There's actually five ideas in this book. The second one says that God cares for and empathizes with all of us in our suffering. That's a really important idea, I think, that God is with us in the middle of it, experiencing the pain and suffering and joy with us. In fact, a lot of people believe this idea, but they don't want to make the claim that God couldn't prevent that evil in the first place. But I think you have to have both ideas. Suppose after church today, Gabriel and I walk out here. What's the name of the road that's going along here? Uh, Yale. Yale. Suppose he and I are walking along Yale, and one of the things I've noticed here in Tulsa in the last week I've been here is that you guys don't believe in sidewalks. 
<laughs> Suppose we're walking along the street and Gabriel and I are engaged in a deep theological discussion and, and we're getting really into it and I notice coming from behind is Gabriel's wife in their car going really fast. In fact, not even seeing us. She's coming so fast that I know that she couldn't stop even if she wants to. Hannah comes right up, and just as Hannah is about to get to where Gabriel and I are walking, Gabriel turns to step out into the street. Hannah hits him. Boom. He falls down. I'm making this up, obviously. The car flips over. It takes Gabriel with him. There's Gabriel right in the middle of Yale Avenue with the car balancing on a, on a small rock. And I can tell that if he doesn't get out of there quickly, it's going to fall down, crush him, and probably kill him. Suppose I run up to Gabriel. I look down, and I say, Gabriel, you all right? And he's like, oh, man, I'm hurting. And I see the, the car is about ready to come down on top of him and probably kill him. And I think to myself, you know, I could prevent this. I could probably push the car and save Gabriel, but I think I'm just going to suffer with him and care and empathize. I'm just going to hold his hand and be with him when the car crushes him. No one would think I was a loving person if I just allowed the car to kill somebody and just said, well, I was there present. I think God is present with us, but I think we also need to believe that God simply can't prevent evil single-handedly. But there are other ideas. For instance, I think God is working to heal to the greatest extent possible, but God can't heal single-handedly. Those who aren't healed isn't because they have enough, hadn't have enough faith or that God is really angry and is punishing them or maybe God said, you know, You've prayed and asked for healing for 97 times, but I need 187 prayers before I'm going to do something. That's not the God I believe in. I think God always works to heal, but always in tandem with ourselves, the atmosphere, relationships, things going on at complex levels and very simple levels. Another idea I think that is important is the idea that God is working to squeeze Whatever good can be squeezed out of the bad God didn't want in the first place. The Christian tradition I grew up in, uh, we had a, a, a practice of people sharing their testimonies. And what would usually happen is people would talk about their week, but every once in a while someone would stand up and say, you know what, praise God, this good thing has happened to me. I look back and see something bad that happened, and I realize, you know what? This good came about. I'm so thankful to God. And God must have caused or allowed the bad so that I could have the good. I don't think that's a good way to think. I think God works with whatever rotten things happens in our life or in the world to bring whatever good can come of it, but God didn't cause or allow it in the first place. The final idea I want to mention this morning to close is the idea that God is calling you and me to join in God's work to overcome love and help love 
to, I mean, sorry, overcome evil <laughs> and help love to win. You and I have a real role to play, and not just you and I, but all creation. Because if this God is really loving us in an uncontrolling way and working in tandem, then we must cooperate, collaborate. Our lives really matter. This morning, as you think about your own life, the lives of the people you know well and your family and friends, the people you don't know, the world in which we live, my message to you is that God, God's not in the business of either causing evil or even allowing it. But God's calling you and me to join as God's hands and feet so that love might win. Thank you for listening. For more, go to ChristChurchTulsa.org and peace be with you.